reason why is because we're, we're doing, this is just a one-off message. If you are new, please know this is not the normal at our church, but every once in a while, I do feel that God has placed a message on my heart. I, I talk with our, our leadership and, and we pray together and work through uh, what, you know, how, to, how to do this properly and what are good times to do it. And so this year, uh, I wanted to do this message. This is something that just God's been putting on my heart to speak about um, in terms of just the social and political environment we are uh, experiencing in our country. Now, it's already a little bit weird to have a Canadian talk about this, okay? So I'll just admit that right up front. But it doesn't really change the fact that I have felt God kind of impressing on my heart uh, to do it. Why? Well, as you can see, we kind of had fun with the united word. And that's because, um, I don't know about you, but I don't feel very united in our country right now. Do you? There doesn't feel to be a whole lot of unity happening in our country. It's, It's a lot about you, and it's a lot about me, and it's a lot about some of the things we're going to talk about today, but it's not very united. And Listen, there's two kinds of people in this world. There's people who love to talk about politics, which means you love to argue. You love to talk about it, okay? You, you look for opportunities to engage it. That's fine. The majority of you, the majority of the rest of us, um, we have an opinion. We have something we'd like to say maybe, you know, about a social issue or a political issue, um, but we don't know how, especially as followers of Christ, to engage in this contentious, divided culture. You know, this thing that we seem to be stuck in, that's, that's kind of the attitude of, uh, you can agree with me or you can be wrong. Am I right? That's, that's, that's the culture we're in. You can agree with me or you can be wrong. And, and we're stuck there. We don't know how to disagree. We don't know how to engage and cut through the extremism of noise. I talked to several people after the first service this morning, and you know, I, I know the temptation is there just to turn off social media for the year, just to turn off the news, turn off the radio, because, because there's so much noise about it. And so I'll, I'll make you two promises today. Number one, I really don't, uh, I don't intend to change your mind about some things today. That's not the purpose of this message in terms of the leaning of the social and political nature. I'm not, I'm not trying to get you to change your political party or your view. I'm really not. But I want you to know that from the depths of my heart, I want you to, ha- I want you to know with, with assurance where God sits in the midst of your conversation about this. I don't think that Christians should shy away. Okay, hear me say that. I don't think Christians should shy away from the, th- the things that affect us socially and the things that affect us politically. But I want to make sure you know where God sits in the midst of your views and your opinions and your response and your actions to the rest of the world. Everybody with me? Yeah? All right. Well, before I, I read this, I wanted, I wanted to just, I was, I was feeling a little um, not sure how to start today. And, and, and I was inspired by, uh, by the words of Jesus when he was getting ready to teach this very famous sermon called the Sermon on the Mount. And he was getting ready to really challenge some of their contemporary views of how they were following God and what was going on and were they, and were they right. He was getting ready to challenge some big issues among the Jewish people with the Sermon on the Mount. And he started his sermon with this charge. And if you grew up in church, they're known as the Beatitudes. Nod your head if you've uh, heard the Beatitudes, yeah? All right. Well, I'm not going to read the, the NIV, which is, you know, blessed. I don't know. The King James says it the same way. I'm going to read the NLT version today. I just prefer that version. But I want you to read the highlighted words with me as we get the challenge from Jesus himself. When we get ready to talk, talk about some things that might be challenging to us, 
what it is he's calling us to, what it is his desire was in this moment. Starts in verse 3. It says, God blesses those who, read it out loud, are poor in spirit and realize their need for him for the kingdom of heaven is theirs. God blesses those who, what? Mourn, Mourn, for they will be comforted. God blesses those who are humble, for they will inherit the whole earth. God blesses those who hunger and thirst for justice, for they will be satisfied. God blesses those who are what? Merciful, for they will be shown mercy. God blesses those whose hearts are pure, for they will see God. God blesses those who what? Work for peace. The peacemakers, as it would be said. For they will be called the children of God. And the last one, God blesses those who are what? Persecuted for doing right for the kingdom of heaven is theirs. You know, that hits me really deeply because when I was praying through this and working through this, I really kind of wonder what is it that God is calling us in just kind of a big broad term, calling the believers, the followers of Christ right now in our nation to be, and I really do believe he's calling us to be peacemakers, to people who work for peace. Not for people who shy back from the conversation, but people who understand what it looks like to speak the truth in love and to work for peace in a very, very, very divided nation. I, I, we just celebrated July 4th, which is, again, one of the reasons we wanted to, to, to kind of do the message today, this Declaration of Independence, this Declaration of Freedom for our country. And so here we have freedom, and I, I kind of sum up freedom with this, this phrase of, I have the right to, right? And that is one of the great things about America is the fact that, you know, as citizens, you have all these incredible, incredible rights and freedoms in your country as citizens, right? But what I'm seeing is often a result of this phrase. When my rights infringe on your rights, who's to say who's right? Right? That's too many rights. All right. When my rights infringe on your rights, who's to say who's right? I mean, even with a silly example like this, like I have the right to park my car anywhere I want to, right? But, but you also have the right for me to not park my car in your front lawn, right? So if my rights infringe on your rights, who do we look to to tell us who's right? Say it out loud. Who do we look to? The law, the government, right? We would look for a law. We would look for an ordinance. We would look for a sanction of some sort. We would look for someone else to tell us Who's right? When my rights infringe on your rights. And so where we are so stuck right now, this is my opinion, but where we are stuck in our culture right now is we do have our freedoms, because I have the right to, but it's accompanied with the government is responsible for. Everybody with me? I have the right to. I have these rights. This is, this is part of who you are as an American. I have these rights. And with that comes this accompanying thought, which is, and the government is therefore responsible. The government is responsible for, and you fill in the blank. And when we are stuck there, this is one of the reasons I believe we are so divided. And some of the, some of the larger issues we deal with as a country. I'm going to give you just four examples, and again, I'm going to, I'm going to share with you the, 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 the sides of the coin, if you will, the sides of the conversation that I am experiencing. You may have your own version of this, but I'm just going to share with you as an example what I'm seeing in terms of these things. Let's start with guns, okay? Let's just start with guns, 
I know it's an easy one to talk about, right? Let's just start with guns. There's, a, there's an argument that says, it's my right. Second Amendment. It's in the Bill of Rights for me to own and to bear arms. It's my right. And then there's a conversation that says, yes, it's your right, but there's also a right to life, and there's also a right to the people who are experiencing some of the tragedy that's coming from gun violence. And then you have the argument, well, that's true, but are you telling me that I have to sacrifice my personal freedom for, for someone else's possible situation for someone else's possible tragedy. I have to experience, I have to lose all that personal freedom. And you say, well, but what are you saying? Are you saying that, that your right to bear arms is greater than the right to someone's life? Is that what you're, is that what you're saying? And then the argument comes, but Listen, the Second Amendment was there for me to protect me, to protect my family, like even from our government, even from that, it was for a militia law. It was this idea that that's the reason we continue to have the right to bear arms. And, and you, what you're trying to tell me is that I have to lose that, and you're asking me to trust my government to protect me? And then the argument comes back and says, no, you, don't, you know, I understand protection, but you don't need an armory in the basement, Right? We see this right now with abortion. It's called, uh, it, it's the phrasing right now that's being used in some of our conversation, the, the Democratic debate, if you didn't watch it a couple weeks ago, is reproductive rights. They're putting abortion under this bigger umbrella of reproductive rights, reproductive medical rights, that women have the right to choose. That women have the right to choose what happens to their body, what happens, what rights they require for something if they need it, that happens to their body, and for them to choose what they do and do not do. And then the argument comes, yeah, but what about the rights of the unborn? Like, what about the rights of the, Are you telling me that your rights as a woman is, is greater than the rights of, of an unborn child? Because to remove that child, to take that life, is to take a life. What about their rights? And it says, yes, but you have to understand there could be medical issues, there could be medical reasons, there could be psychological issues from rape and incest and other things that happen. Like, why would the mother, why should the mother have to experience those things or have the threat of medical issues? And then you say, it doesn't really matter because abortion is wrong. And so, you know, we want to have it stopped. We want to have it completely abolished. We want to have criminal charges brought against doctors who do this. We want to have, you know, mothers who would attempt this to also be treated criminally. And then people say, yeah, but you can't make that happen with the state, and you can't have the state working against the federal government, and, and, and we'll boycott anyone who says otherwise and boycott those states, because it's my right. We see this as well within the context of gender neutrality. And I bring this up because for us in North Carolina, it was a big deal a couple years ago. This is part of the LGBTQ movement, and it's kind of past the transgender issue of who we want to declare to be, but also the, we've kind of moved past the bathroom issue, you know, in terms of, of that bill. But there's a, there's a fight right now in terms of the right of this gender fluidity, that, that this binary system does not work for me, that I want to be able to have the right not only to love who I want to love and to do what I want to do, but to be able to be called who I want to be, be called. And that is my right to be able to do so. And then you have a simple argument that comes and says, yes, but 
You know, in the beginning, this is a lot of what churches do. Like, hey, look, in the beginning, God made male and female, and there was no gender fluid option in the beginning. And the argument continues. It says, it's not just a right for me. This isn't just a right for me. It's a, it's a right for the future. It's the right for, the, for my children. My children have the right to be able to choose their, their gender and their identity, and, and they have the right to do that whenever they're ready. You cannot make me. Doctors can't make me. States can't make me. Choose this binary option between male and female for my child. My child has those rights as well. You say, listen, in terms of free speech and, and, and freedom of everything else, you can't, like, like the English language has been around for 1,400 years. Like, it's been him and hers for a long time. You cannot make me call you them or A or C or any of the other pronouns you're wanting to introduce. You can't make me do this. You can't make me do it in my workplace. You can't make me do it in my home. You cannot make me do this. It's my right. And then a big one right now is, Immigration. People feel very strongly that we have a right to protect our country. We have a right to, to build this wall. We have a right to protect it by force. We have a right for all Americans. In terms of just the idea of protection and safety. And then the arguments can also happen from, from the side that says, yes, but our country was built on immigration. Our country was built. It's the melting pot. It's the land of opportunity. Like, like what happened to the years of open arms? to welcome in these foreigners who, who are just trying to make a better life for themselves. And say, yes, but we also have the understanding that within, those, within the borders, within the idea of people coming into our country, there is an expectation that they are going to obey the laws of our land. So there cannot be sanctuary cities and sanctuary states. There has to be some order, some law and justice, some due process. And the argument continues to say, yes, but if that due process is causing harm, if it's causing children to be separated, if it's causing uh, adults to be treated poorly and not to be fed and to be like almost in a prison, that's not right. That's not, that's not right for them. It's not right for us to treat them that way. And if you've read anything and seen this argument, the argument is, you know, right now those, those smaller towns at the border are being absolutely crushed and devastated by the chaos that, that there's just, I mean, thousands upon thousands that have come in that are waiting to be processed and draining resources and causing issues. And, 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 and where are the rights for those Americans? Where are the rights for those in those cities? Like, do they have to suffer because of rights of non-Americans? And the argument continues to go on and on. Everybody nod your head if you can see what I'm talking about here. When we believe that we have the right to and the government's responsible for, we have no choice. Guys, we have no choice but to claw and argue and debate and viciously pursue the government's response to something that we believe is right. That aligns with the way, we, not just our personal rights, but the rights of people we support and that we align with. We have, no, we have no choice but this, which is part of the division we're experiencing. Now, I think what we're missing, and this is just going to be my first, my first kind of understanding this morning, is I think what we're missing, and it's fairly intuitive, but it's just something not being discussed a lot, is I really do believe that with individual rights, they must be coupled with individual responsibility. 
I mean, we get the responsibility part, but we just kind of put that responsibility that it's my rights and the government's responsible to solve it, to fix it, to intervene. But what I see, what I see in Scripture, what I see uh, even, even in the beginning formation of our country, I see that these rights had the assumption with it that there would be individual responsibility coupled with individual rights. That's why we have a Bill of Rights, but we don't have a Bill of Responsibility. Nod your head if you're with me, right? We have a Bill of Rights, but we don't have a Bill of Responsibility. It was assumed, it was, it was there because when, our, when the founding fathers, not all of them Christian, by the way, when the founding fathers came together to, to really begin this experiment of liberty, this experiment of freedom, as they would call it, and they declared that freedom, there was so much assumed in terms of what individual rights came with and that was part of the individual responsibility. You'll look at the Declaration of Independence where you see that we hold these truths to be self-evident, that all men are created equal and that they are endowed by their, say the word out loud, by their creator with certain unalienable what? Rights. And that among those are life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness. There was an absolute assumption among the founders of this country that there was a common morality, there was a common assumption of individual rights that were given to you by God that came with individual responsibility to God, to this creator. And so instead of this idea that I have the right to and the government's responsible for, it changes it to I have the right to and I am responsible for. I have the right. Yes, you have amazing, incredible rights. But with those have to be coupled. Individual accountability, individual responsibility. John Adams, who was our first vice president, our second president, I chose him. This is a great quote. This is actually, he wrote this in his term as a president. But one of our founding fathers, one of the signers of the Declaration of Independence, he, he actually looks back even in the early, early years of our government. And he writes this letter to the militia in the front lines of Massachusetts, and he, he wants them to understand how important it is, this assumption, this understanding. He actually says, our Constitution was made only for moral, moral and religious people. It is, and say the words out loud, wholly inadequate to the government of any other he was writing them to help them understand that he even uses a word like a net, like a whale going through fishing nets. Like, like you have to understand that there's a certain aspect of responsibility that is assumed and has to be assumed for this experiment of freedom to be successful. It was written, it was given to a moral and religious people. People that had something beyond themselves that they were responsible to. People that were beyond themselves that they were accountable to. But they didn't just have the right to, they also had the responsibility for. Which leads me to this primary set of, you can pose it as a question, you can pose it as a statement. But if you and I, listen, this is part of, this is part of how this works with us. When we have given our lives to Christ, when we have surrendered to him as our Lord and Savior, when we consider ourselves followers of Christ, we have already placed ourselves under his authority. We've already placed ourselves in submission to him, whether you know that or not. 
We've already done this. So we already know that there's personal responsibility. We already know that there's individual, not just our rights, but there's individual responsibility for those rights. And that's what we see in Scripture. So when we engage in this conversation, when we respond in that Facebook post, when we, when we engage across the table with family that view things very differently, where does God sit? Where does he fit in your conversation? Well, I put it this way. Our faith either informs our beliefs and our actions, our response, or our views and our opinions will reflect our faith. Now, I know that seems like it could mean the same thing, which in a positive sense, it could. But what I see often is, a, is really a tension between God who is first and foremost in our lives to inform us of not only what we believe, but how it's expressed, how it's lived out, how we respond. It's the transformative work of Christ in us changing us to be more and more like him, where faith informs this, versus what I see more than anything are a bunch of Christians who are slapping themselves, tying themselves to posts and articles and quippy headlines and all political parties and ideas and views because it just kind of aligns with what they think kind of should happen, and that reflects their faith. And they haven't really considered how it reflects their faith or what kind of faith that actually is reflecting. Because this is just us. As Christians, many feel the need, feel the justification. I got to make this thing part of my faith. You know, they have a view first, and then they got to make it. So they slap the Christian bumper sticker on it, right? They slap the what would Jesus do bumper sticker on it. You all you know, nod your head if you know what I'm talking about. Right? That's, that's what we do. It's just, it's, it's natural. You know? Well, Jesus was surely, surely Jesus would build the wall. God told Nehemiah to build the wall. Right? I mean, he, were, he was all about protection. Jesus himself said he was the sheep gate, right? To keep the wolves out. Gate, sheep, fence, wall. Jesus was a Republican. <laughs> right? It's clear. And then you have people, oh, no, he would... Jesus would let the children come to me, he said, right? Don't hold anybody back. Jesus would let everybody in. He loves everybody. He would, he would not do any of those things. And he would feed them, right? He would totally feed them and they would be full and happy. Remember that time when the 5,000 showed up and then he took that little kid's lunch? That kid didn't need that whole lunch, right? So he took the lunch and he redistributed it to everyone. And they were all fed and they were all happy and it was all glorious. Of course, Jesus is Democrat. Clearly, we know this. And all we're doing is taking our, our view and our opinion. And because we know, intuitively, we know that it reflects a faith in us, we've got to try to make it work. We've got to try to figure it out. Versus really, the heart of, does, does your faith does the, does the changing work of Christ in you inform you of everything you say and everything you type and everything you engage in and every response you have to the culture we're currently in? I think that's the challenge. 
I think that's a tension among believers. I'll share with you just a few verses as we kind of work, work towards the end here. I'll share with you a few verses that have kind of been hitting me and kind of like I've been wrestling with when it comes to why it is I believe some of the things I believe and why it is we do some of the things we do as even as a church. Paul wrote to Timothy and, and shared this charge. He said, I urge you, first of all, to the church. He said, pray for all people. Ask God to help them intercede on their behalf and give thanks for them. And then he added this. Pray this way, interceding on their behalf, giving thanks for them. Pray this way for kings and read it out loud for me. Yeah, I want you to pray that way for all who are in authority so that we can live peaceful, quiet lives marked, known by godliness and dignity. I'll just share with you, this is one of the reasons that, that we as a church, driven by me and Donnie and our leadership team, like why we partner with Love Life Charlotte. And we go down and pray around the abortion clinic uh, in, in Charlotte. This is why we do this. Why? Because I may not have the actual legal solution for you. I may not, I may not even know in the terms of the conversation how to help engage and bridge the gap and be the peacemaker I want to be in the midst of a very, very difficult topic for most people. But I can pray. I can be a voice for the voiceless. I can, I can intercede on their behalf. So we go and we pray. And we don't pray, we don't pray in condemnation and fear. We pray for mothers. We pray for the workers. We pray for the doctor. We pray for the owners of the abortion clinic. Why? Because none of them are the enemy. Nod your head if you are with me. None of them are the enemy. We pray for them. That God would show up. That God would be the Lord of their life. That he would bring about the change that he wants to see. So we pray. There's people every week on Saturday who they themselves have, have had an abortion and, and are walking. And we have people in our church who have gone and participated that have had abortions. And they're not receiving shame, and they're not receiving guilt, because we don't believe that. We believe there's forgiveness and grace. They're not receiving that when they go there. They're going to share, as you've heard me say before, they're going to share with many, many mothers who do not even feel like they have a choice, that there is a choice, that there's a support and there's a network that wants to come around them and support them and help them choose life. And listen, you don't hear me say this, you don't have to agree with me. You don't even have to agree with them 100% to lock arms and to pray because that's what we've been called to do. That's what our individual responsibility is, is to pray and to intercede on their behalf. So you don't, I'm not trying to convince you to change. I don't know if I could convince you to change your mind. You're certainly not going to convince me. Everybody know what I'm talking about? You're not going to convince me. Why? Because I've been to Peru. Abortion is illegal in Peru. And I have been to Peru and I have held these babies at the shelter that we go to. We, just, we had a group just come back. I have held these babies that have been the, 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 I mean, I'm telling you, these babies, according to our terms, are the results, okay, of tragic incest and abuse. They are the results of rape. They are the results of, of sex trafficking. And I have held those babies 
I'm telling you, and their life is no less precious than yours or mine. So you're not going to convince me any differently. But that's not my desire to convince you either. We've been called to pray. And that's why we go do what we do. That's why we take time. We gather as a church in the church of Charlotte, a bunch of other churches, and we lift up people and we lift up the name of Jesus. Here's Romans. This is Paul talking to the church in Rome. He said, blessed are those who persecute you and curse them. Or sorry, don't curse them. Pray that God would bless them. Be happy with those who are happy and weep with those who weep. Live in harmony. That's a Greek word is united in unity with each other. Don't be too proud to enjoy the company of ordinary people and don't think you know it all. I'm going to read it one more time for the room, okay? Don't think that you know it all. Never pay back evil with more evil, but do things in such a way that everyone can see you are honorable. Do all that you can to live at peace with everyone. Do all that you can. You know, this is one of the reasons that I'm very usually very careful about what I say when it comes to the LGBTQ kind of, uh, even the gender neutrality movement. I mean, I have my own opinions. Trust me, I have my very strong opinions. And, but I'm very careful about what I say. Why? Because I have compassion. Because on the end of every argument, on the end of every comment thread, on the end of every uh, conversation, there's a person there. Right? There's a person there. And not only is there a person there, but this person is not viewing our conversation in, in terms of choices and lifestyles and, and, and behaviors and, and the, what the Bible does or does not say about it. They're engaging in a conversation about their identity. So I have compassion. And I don't know it all. But I'm called to love them. I'm called to treat them with respect. I am not supposed to pay back evil for evil, even when they don't agree with me, even when I believe what the Bible says and will preach what the Bible says. I will continue to live in the tension of fully accepting people by not affirming them. And then everybody tells me, I can't do that. Tough. That's what I do. And we don't have to agree. But it doesn't change the heart that I have for them. It doesn't change the fact that I'm extraordinarily driven to love them with the compassion that Christ loves them. It's very difficult for me. I'm very cautious even when I say, which goes into this next, this is part of Romans, where it says everyone must submit to governing authorities. Why? Because all authority comes from God. That's going to be hard for you to swallow. And those in position of authority have been placed there by God. Another one that's hard to swallow. Later on, he goes on to pay your taxes. That's just good advice for everybody in the room, all right? And government fees, those who collect them. But I want you to see this. He says, I want you to give, what's the two words? Respect and what? To those who are what? Yeah, I heard you mumble. Listen, guys, this is just going back to where we are. There is so much. Our country has become so okay with the lack of respect and the lack of honor and the lack of dignity given to our leaders, whether it's congressional, whether it's judicial, whether it's uh, the executive branch, it doesn't matter. We're all a little too comfortable dishonoring them. We're all a little too comfortable with a lack of respect in our country. 
my challenge is, as followers of Christ, you do not need to add to the noise. You do not need to add to that. You do not need to be a part of that. You have, listen, as an American citizen, you have the freedom of speech. You can say anything you want to say. That is very, very true. But it comes with the individual responsibility and accountability that God will hold you accountable for every word that comes out of your mouth and everything you type. Everybody with me? I'm not telling you you need to like people you don't like. I'm not trying to get you to change parties. But not everything you think needs to be said. Not everything that you think needs to be written. What are we called to? What are we responsible for? To this beautiful big picture of the sovereignty of God, which is a whole other message, but the sovereignty of God, that for whatever reason, at this time, in this place, there are people in authority who God has placed in authority. Which is why I pray. Everybody with me? Which is why I pray. The words should never cross my lips that are disrespectful and dishonoring to those that are in authority. That's individual responsibility coupled with individual rights. Philippians 2 says, do nothing out of selfish ambition or vain conceit, rather in humility value others above yourselves, not looking to your own interest, but each of you to the interest of others. You know, this is one of those long verses that basically says, why do you got to be right Why are you so driven to be right? Why does it matter that you're right? Why does it matter that your party is right or your candidate's right? You are not to be driven by vain conceit to put yourself above anyone else. That's what we're called to. That's individual responsibility. We're called to something more. We're called to something higher. I have have thoughts and plenty of opinions about immigration. I am a legal immigrant, believe it or not, right? I'm not here illegally, just to let everybody know. Don't call the cops or anything, right? I'm a legal immigrant. I've been in the States for so long. I mean, I'm, I'm common law American. That's what I call myself, right? I mean, seriously, I've been here so long. But the reality is, is that even with my opinions about protection and about treatment of people, and nobody has a solution that I think I can even put my opinion on or attach my opinion to. But it, but it doesn't mean I don't have an opinion. It just matters that I don't need to wade into the conversation just so that I can be right. Just so that I can be proven or my party can be proven or my person can be proven to be right. That is the wrong motivation. That is a view and an opinion that reflects your faith and what a pitiful, horrible faith it reflects. Here's how Paul said it again to the church in Galatia. He says, you, my brothers and sisters, are called to be free. We are called to be free. These freedoms come from him. But we're going to use our freedom not to indulge the flesh, but rather to serve one another humbly in love. Where does he get that? Well, he gets that from Jesus when Jesus said, for the entire law is fulfilled in keeping this one command, love your neighbor as yourself. That's quoting, he's quoting Jesus, quoting the Savior. He says, this is where I get that. We're not supposed to just use our freedom for us, it's for others. And then he says this. He might as well be talking to us today. That if you bite and devour each other, watch out, or you will be destroyed by each other. 
That's just the reality is, is liberty without responsibility will destroy liberty. That's true. And I think Americans are so worried about all the rest of the world, and they're worried about what other people want to do to harm us, and they're worried about the, the threats from the outside. And I'll, I'll say this just with as much love as I can. I honestly believe the state that we're in in our country, Americans, America's biggest problem is Americans, okay, that don't understand, that have forgotten that their rights come with responsibility. Not the government's responsibility but their responsibility. And then he closes this chapter in, uh, to the church in Galatia by saying this. When he talks about the flesh, he gives some examples, and then he says, I want you to be led by the Spirit. I want the Spirit to produce in you these things. Love, and joy, and peace, and forgiveness, and forbearance. Oh, sorry, not forgiveness. Forbearance, for, uh, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. Now, I've taught on these things, and We've done other messages that talk about the, the fruit of the Spirit and what kind of expresses itself out loud. But I want you to see the last verse. It says, against such things, read it out loud. Yeah, I'm going to do it one more time. You know what? Against such things, what? There is no law, right? You know what that means? It means that against such thing, against these things in your life, there is no process. There is no governmental authority. There is nothing that can stop you from doing this. But I think we struggle most with the fact that there is no law that makes us do this. Oh, there is no law against these things. But there is no law to inspire us to become more and more like Jesus. Because we think the government's responsible. So my challenge today, the application for the whole day, is once again, where does God fit? He either informs your beliefs and your behaviors and what you say and how you respond and how you engage. Or you're going to choose to engage and respond and say with your views and your opinions, and it is going to reflect your God. I'm sure there's some nuance of stuff in between, but... Man, my prayer for you, my prayer for those watching later, my prayer for our country is that the followers of Jesus will start with God, will start with their faith. They will let that be the absolute truth and the absolute hope of Jesus Christ to inform their belief and to inform everything that they are individually responsible and accountable to do. And they wouldn't just simply let a view or an opinion reflect a God made in their image, a God made in their party's image, a God made in their view's image. Because that's a puny God. Nobody wants to follow that God. He starts first, calling us to be peacemakers, calling us to love those, calling us for justice, calling us to, to mourn with those who mourn, calling us to even if, if, to be persecuted if we need to be for doing right. He calls us to more. I am so thankful 
to be living in this country. I'm so thankful for the rights and the freedoms that are, that are given to Americans. And I am so thankful to be a follower of Christ in this country with the, with the leveraging and the freedom and the resources that we have to make a difference in the world. Don't let this current climate, this culture of division keep you from engaging and being everything that God has called you to be allowing Jesus to continue to transform you, to produce those, those fruits of the Spirit in your life, and to allow Him to inform your social and political views and opinions and actions. Let's pray together. Father God, I'm going to just take the opportunity this morning as we did, just because of the nature and the theme of today, God, but I as a church and as the leader here, God, I just want to do what maybe we don't do very often, which is I want to lift up those in authority. God, regardless of whether we agree with, with the congressional branch and the judicial branch and the executive, regardless of whether we really feel aligned with leaders right now, God, we understand our individual responsibility to lift them up and to thank you for them. God, I pray that you would give them wisdom. That right now, even in our leaders, you would not let them be the, just the, the byproduct of biting and devouring each other with what their rights are. That God, you would rise up in leaders of faith and you would rise up in our nation to give them wisdom to serve one another in love. And that Christians all around this world would lead by example with that. God, I pray for everybody in this room and every follower of Christ that, God, that they would just know, they would just be okay with being challenged this morning about where you fit in their conversation, where you fit and how they engage and talk about and respond to social and political views. God, I'm praying that you, by the power of your spirit, you would move us to a place where you and you alone first inform us of how we should express those things. And just watch the world begin to change. Because that's what you do. It's only by your power, it's only by your grace we can even engage in those things. And God, we're praying for you to work in a mighty way through us to benefit our nation. We pray all this in your name, Jesus. Amen.